Welcome to the Food Connected Podcast. This is Lonnie Sweet, the CEO of Connect Group. Today's episode, we have Carl Middleman, the president of Aramark Sports and Entertainment Group. We get into some really interesting conversations, uh, all centered around the evolution of the food and beverage offered at stadiums and arenas across the country. So hope you enjoy and appreciate you listening in. All right. Welcome to the Food Connected Podcast. I'm really excited today to have Carl Middleman, who is the president of Aramark Sports and Entertainment, uh, on with us. Um, He's got a really interesting position. Um, The food and beverage scene at stadiums uh, across the country has changed drastically over the last five, ten years. And so I'm excited to dig into this a little bit with Carl. Um, Appreciate you coming on, man. Oh, thanks, Lonnie. Great to be here. Thank you. The opportunity to chat with you and look forward to it. Yeah, it's it's awesome. So, listen, I start off every one of these podcasts the same way. Uh, what I'd love to do is ask you two questions, just to give you a, a quick background on kind of who you are and, and what your role at Aramark is, and then uh, the one question that that hopefully leads to other stuff is, uh, what does being food connected actually mean to you? Okay, well, I'll start with the uh, the Reader's Digest version of me. Uh, been with Aramark for about 22 years, born and raised in the company. Uh, started as an intern and uh, have had a great opportunity to uh, to rise through the ranks of uh, the sports and entertainment business. I'm privileged now of uh, of leading our team. Uh, we have about 125 different venues across uh, North America that uh, that I have responsibility for. 35,000 or so dedicated frontline associates, and uh, you know we're we're proud to provide. Uh, food and beverage and retail merchandise services uh, in in a number of major league sports and entertainment venues, major convention centers, uh, and cultural attractions throughout North America. And uh, as 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 I go to the second question in terms of what what food connected means to me, um, you know when I when I was in college, um, you know, I was I was I was in a hotel school, and and those that that chose to study food and beverage management in the 90s were known as foodies. Yeah. Uh, and that was before anybody else in pop culture was, was known as a foodie. And so I, I, I always think back when I hear the word foodie to what that meant to me um, as someone who chose to, to study uh, food and beverage and to uh, have this great opportunity to connect uh, food and beverage to the sports and entertainment business. And, and when I interned uh, with Aramark out at Coors Field back in the mid-90s, um, the reason I fell in love with the industry, it was, it was the, the one place I found where, where I could connect food to a, to, you know, to a totally different experience, but at every spectrum of, of the food world. So when you think about what we do, the quick serve restaurant concepts, the, the casual dining, we had a sports bar and microbrewery. We were doing fine dining in our clubs, serving the executives, uh, you know, uh, lunch or dinner. Catering to the owners and the team, and so it was. It, it, from my perspective, we were able to connect um, every component of food to a very unique uh, experience or in a, in a unique venue. And as we've evolved, or as food has evolved, as culture has evolved, uh, it's been it's been incredibly uh, amazing to see how food has played uh, such a more such such a, a greater significance in the overall fan experience. When I when I started in the business, we would have talked about food as adding value. Today, we talk about it as being central to the fan experience. So we have, we've really shifted the dynamic and how the fan looks at food and beverage, their offerings, uh, the offerings that are available to them when they're in a venue, how they look at that so differently today uh, than, you know, say 10, 20 years ago. And, and for us, it's about making that connection between the fan, 
the venue, the geography, uh, the community, uh, so that, that when the fan leaves, or the guest leaves one of our venues, that they, re- you know, they can, they can have realized what it means to be part of that particular city, that particular team through the food and beverage experience. There's so much to chunk off there. First of all, I think that's, <clears throat> I think it's, it's awesome. And it's amazing to me that you've been there for 22 years, by the way. I mean, I think we should, we should start there. I think you are, you're an anomaly for somebody that's been at the same company for that long. It just doesn't happen that much. So I, w- I would have to say it's both a testament to you, but also probably a testament to Aramark as well. Um, you know, creating a work culture. That's, that's pretty ridiculous. Well, you know, the company has given me a great opportunity to, to grow both personally and professionally. We've done it, you know, literally around the world, uh, working in you know, internationally, working in California and Alaska, living in Pittsburgh, you know, all kinds of different cultures um, with different opportunities, different assignments over the over over time, and um, you know, it, it's it's a it's a two way street, right? When you have a company that takes good care of you and and values you, and you're you love what you do with that company each and every day. Uh, then, then great things can happen, and, and, and you're absolutely right. You know, t- in today's day and age, you don't see a, a resume with someone that, that's 20 plus years at the same company. <laughs> yeah. When I break it down, I've had you know, probably 12 jobs within those 22 years, and so uh, the company's done a great job of keeping it fresh too. Um, yeah. At the same time, but you know, when you wake up every day and you love what you do, um, you just keep doing it. <clears throat> yeah, you know, the, you, you also said you know the idea of of being, you know. What, what foodie meant back in the day, which I think is, you know, for me, if somebody was to ask me what food connected means, for me, it's the next evolution of a foodie, right? So back in the day, know, back in the day, whatever, six, seven years ago, a foodie meant a gourmand. I think to your point, right? Somebody that's really passionate about food, who's going out and almost being their own reviewer, almost kind of, you know, eating at the best fine dining restaurants around the world. For me, food connected means not just necessarily that person. I do think that they're, they're food connected as well. But it's everybody along the spectrum, right? It is that college kid who is doing something crazy with ramen in their dorm room. You know, it's the dad that's going to the butcher and he knows him by first name. It's the fan that's doing something crazy out in the parking lot, but making sure they're finding, you know, their favorite stand inside the stadium because food is such a central part of it. And I think that you guys really, very different than most other people that I've talked about on this podcast, you guys are in a really interesting position because... I don't know if, if, and and I'm curious to understand kind of how that evolved and, you know, as you guys started to shift, like what, what some of those points were, right? Because, you know, the expectations of people when they go to events, and I'm not just talking about games, but I'm talking about concerts and talking about, you know, cocktail parties, you talk about VIP dinners or whatever it may be, those expectations on what food is has changed a lot, right? It, It used to be, to your point, you know, you go to a game, and if the food was okay, the food was okay, right? You were going there to experience a game. Now people's expectations are that the food better be good, or else when you leave, it's, hey, the game was great and the company was great, but, man, the food really sucked, or the food wasn't on mm-hmm. par with which it needed to be. And because there's that emotional kind of connection to and the expectations have raised, everybody has to get better. Right, and I think that's what's really impressive about you guys is that, at least from the outside looking in, I'd, I'd love to understand the perspective. You guys continue to elevate what you're doing, um, and I'm curious about like what was that tipping point? Like, at what point did you guys say, "Hey, we need to step back and not only offer the best burger and hot dog and nachos, which I'm assuming are still the vast majority of what people are buying," but like, how did you guys realize it, and what was the point when you guys realized you had to evolve beyond just that? 
Yeah, yeah, that's um, it's a great question, and thank you for the positive feedback. I appreciate it on, on what we've done. I think back about twelve or so years ago, uh, my 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 current boss, who was our, in my role at the time, he's our CEO now. Um, and when I was at that point running one of the regions for the company, um, Mark Mark led us on a path to explore how we could better use data and insights to make decisions. And and when you think about the, the, the food business, right, for so many years, decisions were made by the operator's intuition or the operator's gut, yeah. you know, what, what they thought was best. And I think back to, gosh, I think back to when I opened uh, PNC Park and I thought sushi would be a great idea in 2000, uh, back in uh, 2001 at PNC Park. That was not a very good idea. <laughs> I didn't use much data. I just thought it would be cool to have sushi at a there was a local uh, seafood provider. Well, that didn't really, you know, work so well back then uh, because the, the the fan wasn't ready for it. They didn't right. understand it. They weren't asking for it. So when we went down, when we went down this path of data and insights, we we started by engaging the, the fan and the consumer to understand what they were looking for. We started to ask those questions. We started to look at the data of what was selling in our venues. We started to, you know, and you think about the millions of transactions that we have each and every day with, you know, you have 30,000 people in a venue, you, you can learn so much if you take a step back and actually dig into that information. And so it was looking at transactional data. It was looking at more into focus group data. It was, it was understanding what was happening, you know, in the general marketplace that we were serving. And it was assembling that and then, and then sitting down with our operators and saying, okay, you have your gut, you have your intuition, and we don't want to take that away because it's gotten us to where we are, you know, back then to, you know, 2007, eight, whatever it was. Um, but let's look at it against this, against this lens of, of data and see how we can, how we can shift that paradigm a little more. And so when we think about when we opened, when we opened City Field in 09, the data was suggesting that the consumer wanted a more social experience. They wanted places to gather. They wanted to feel local, authentic, and genuine. And, and yeah, you could have the best Nathan's hot dog. And yes, that is going to make you feel New York. But when we, when we went out and expanded that to think about what's going on in the marketplace, well, there, there's this, there's this really cool little concept over in Manhattan called Shake Shack. You know, what about, <laughs> what about them, you know, over into the ballpark? Right. And how would that, how would that work? And then working with, with Danny Meyer and his group, you know, to expand uh, not only the Shake Shack offerings, but the other concepts, Blue Smoke and, um, and box freaks that went into the ballpark, and and, and you started to, to see that. You, you mentioned the words emotional connection. You saw that right off the bat, that the fan, the consumer, was making that emotional connection when they were in a venue to a recognizable product or brand or chef partner, a chef chef concept that they that they recognized from their main street, from main main street USA pop culture, whatever it may be, and that that's kind of what really started this evolution. Um, were, were, were these, the ability to connect the data, what the consumer was saying, what was happening in the marketplace. And it, it, it's not really rocket science, right? It's what we, what we're all doing today. But we were one of the first companies to really, to really identify that as something that needed to change in our world. Right. We weren't a very sophisticated way of thinking. You know, we were happy selling a lot of beer. We were happy selling a lot of nachos and selling hot dogs and, and salty snacks. And while that, that's still the core, I would argue 10, maybe 15 years ago, that was probably 80% of our business. It's probably now closer to 65, 60 to 65% of our business with, you know, with that, with that shift moving away from core to, 
a spe- the specialty product, local, the authentic, the genuine, uh, chef, chef-driven concepts. And, and what the other, what the consumer also told us back then was we needed to be thinking more like retailers, uh, like retail restaurateurs. And, and, and we have this great real estate. So it's not just, not just the product or the brand, but how do you design and develop the concept to connect with the consumer as something different than what they might expect when they were in, in, right. in one of our venues. And that evolution you know, has, has, continues today as we, as we incorporate now the latest in technology and, and, and the, best, you know, the best equipment, the best components of design. Yep. But what's been really cool, Lonnie, is, is as we've worked with, with our chef partners and, and other celebrity brands, we've taught each other a lot. You know, we've been able to get a pulse on what's really happening, you know, in that small 30-seat restaurant that one of our chef partners may run. And that helps us influence what we're doing in a stadium. Yeah. Vice versa, we're able to help, we're able to help, help uh, educate one of our partners on how they, can, how they can produce per volume and how they can execute at a higher scale and help them evolve their business. And it's, been, it's just been really amazing to watch the last, you know, decade, decade and a half or so of, of this business. And, uh, and and it's certainly added you know, tremendous complexity to what we do, um, but but the value has been created, uh, the, and we see that through how our consumers react, how they spend, uh, how they how they dwell in our venues, how much time they spend with us, and their willingness to uh, to engage in a whole different way, and, and I really think that's um, you know it goes back to that 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 impetus of thinking about the business completely differently using data to help us make decisions, understanding the market. Sometimes we're, you know, we're ahead of trends. Uh, they just haven't kept, you know, caught on yet. But right. then when we're able to validate it with credible partners, you know, then, then we're able to really, really hit that secret sauce. So, so other than your sales, right, your POSs, and you guys know exactly how many hot dogs and how many, how many you know, items you sold or SKUs that you sold in each stadium, how are you actually gathering that intelligence yeah, uh, there's a, there's a lot of different ways. Um, you know, we're we're doing fan intercepts right. in venues where we'll you know where we'll where we'll, we'll really just go up and start talking to folks. Are you know we're we're using uh, you know a, a pretty a pretty sophisticated template to gather that information, and then we have a we have a data science team uh, that, that reports up to me. And, and what Kevin and his group are doing is is essentially you know, mining through all the intercepts. We have a voice of the consumer program where we're asking for that feedback. We leverage what our teams get uh, in terms of their their feedback to the consumer, right? Uh, and then we'll out and, and you know we'll look at the we'll look at the market data, whether it's Trendera, uh, Technomic, whether we're you know Nielsen, whatever it may be, and we'll we'll try to connect all those dots. So you take kind of your your point of sale and transactional data, your consumer engaged feedback and market data, mesh that all together to to create the right levels of uh, of, of output, and, and that will then influence menu distribution, uh, points of sale, whatever it may be in a venue, uh, and down to the actual skew uh, and and how we place that, you know, in a building. And and our our operators have really shifted their their approach from being what was once you know again very much it's my building I'm going to run it my way to being very open to the data because it helps them be more effective and more right. efficient as operators. Yep. And so our data science team really pushes a lot of that out there and shares uh, shares that feedback based on each of the markets. Uh, makes it very powerful. 
And so how do you, you know, I'm curious about, and you got a lot of chef partnerships, right? I know you, you know, you work with Andrew Zimmer and you got a partnership with Michael Simon and um, you got a lot of other kind of quote unquote celebrity chefs across the country. What's that process look like in terms of, you know, I, I know that, I'm going to say I know. I've seen that a lot of venues tend to go more local, right? Because that's what their fans know, and people are comfortable with kind of seeing, uh, you know, Michael Simon Burger on the on the menu um, in Cleveland. But what's that look like? How do you guys break down after you get all this data? After you see what people are looking for, how do you find the right partner, chef partner? Um, and I know teams are changing the way that they're doing things as well um, in terms of the way that they're looking for corporate dollars from these chefs or these bigger brands i think what you did with danny meyer you know in at city field is very different the way that they look at partners today i mean i have got some friends at teams that they'll go out and looking for sponsorship deals from restaurant groups um but how do you guys kind of break down who's the right fit for you in the second half of that question which is something that i'm i'm really interested in not really from a marketing perspective but more from an operational perspective the idea you you talked about volume um Chefs are not used to the volume that you're talking about doing, right? Even if you own, you know, a 300-seat restaurant, you know, the volume that you guys do on any given Sunday, is it's ridiculous. I mean, it's ridiculous when you think about how many people you guys are feeding, um, and it requires you to change the way that you feed people, right? The way that you cook, the way that you prep, the way that you um, – the types of food that you're you're creating. So I'm curious about kind of how you – um, how that experience has been working with you know chefs that are not used to that getting them used to kind of um, you know feeding the masses. Sure, Good. those are all all great topics. So let let me start with kind of the process, and and you, you you touch on an important topic, which is you know the sponsorship component, and and it's one of the first conversations that we have with our partners in 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 the venues as we go down as we go down these paths is is a recognition that there are there are a number of different ways to create value in the food and beverage operation of a sports venue. One way is to be, you know, completely focused on on the marketing and sponsorship and to drive it that way. And and, and, and if we have a partner that, that looks at the business model through that lens, then you know then we're gonna fall in line and adhere to how we can best drive our program within those parameters. But it is very difficult for us to go out into a marketplace and bring a, bring in the up and coming concept or right. the independent restaurant tour and and, and 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 we would never you know think to go ask them okay we'd love to have you as a partner and oh by the way you need to write a check for X to to be here right. that model doesn't work it just it purely doesn't work and so we have to first talk through why we would why we would shift away from the sponsorship and why why we would recognize that. This is, you know, we use the, we overuse the word partner way too much, but, but a true partnership has, you know, a great two-way exchange of value. And so when we're bringing in a partner into a venue, you know, value that they're able to garner in terms of their brand and their recognition and, and their status being uh, connected to X hundreds of thousands of folks over the course of a season is significant to them. It helps them build their brand yep. and their status in it helps us as the operator uh, establish credibility. It helps us provide uh, a recognizable brand to the consumer. It helps us drive revenue because, uh, honestly, we can we can we can capture sometimes a higher ticket. Um, but ultimately, it helps us it helps us create a better experience, and that's the conversation that, that we have to first get over that hurdle 
of, of what what are we trying to accomplish through the food and beverage program? And, right. and you know the Mets have been have been great at understanding and setting the you know setting the, the, the standard of of how to approach the business and where that balance lies between where is the where where do you then you know kind of cross the line and and if you're working with a partner who's also a distributor and you're buying their product and there's there's a lot more value creation well then maybe there is a sponsorship play right right um, but you know it, it's it's all about having candid, open, and transparent dialogue between ourselves, the partners, and, and the team. Being fair. And, and then what we... Uh, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's about being fair to all parties, right? Both, oh, yeah, you absolutely. know, the business from it's the operator be, and the team. Yeah. Got Everybody's got to win. And um, and, and and everyone's got to see the, 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 the right level of value creation uh, that, that, that's, that, that is, you know, that's being driven towards. But, you know, then it's about immersing ourselves in the marketplace. And so it's taking that that, that preliminary market data and then going out and, and really trying to get a sense, especially if it's not a market that we've operated in for a long time or, or we're maybe going into uh, as a new, uh, a new operation. It's, we have to immerse in that market. We have to talk to the, you know, to the best of the best and we'll leverage our existing partners to help us, you know, contact, uh, you know, the right, the right influencers in market X, Y, or Z uh, to help us, uh, help us find where we should be going. How do we get, you know, kind of the, the back streets tour of that particular city, um, and and you know as you know, Lonnie, there's this there's an incredible web uh, of connectivity between uh, chefs in, in in our country, and and so it's really about having the referral or the reference from one partner to another right. uh, to help us establish you know new new relationships uh, in markets where we're going in new and existing markets. Um, you know, it's amazing how we can breed uh, breed positivity and. And kind of breed this trend of um, of excitement around a venue uh, when we're when we're open and exploring opportunities and folks you know will will we'll solicit us and and we'll talk and say what you know what are you looking at what are you working on and how do we you know how do we build or establish something that that might make sense in in a venue so it's not there's there's not a playbook that we use that says okay you know when you go in the market Google top restaurants go to you know go to Yelp and find out the top three and go talk to them. That's not that's not kind of how we're doing it. It's through right. relationship, uh, it's through connectivity, it's through immersion, and ultimately we've got to find the right fit. And, and for us, that fit is trust, and that trust goes to your second question because you know every one of our partners and there's you know probably 25 or so that are out there today, maybe more. Um, every one of our partners is trusting our company, our people, with their with their value, with their brand, with their persona. And that's what they've built. That's that's the, uh, the you know that's the value that they have created over the years, over time to, you know, to build the reputation. That's all they have really at the end of the day. Yep. And they have to be willing to trust us to be stewards of that brand. Um, and so every time we're operating a B spot in Cleveland, or every time we're operating a Fuku for for David Chang, or every time we're we're running a Cat Cora concept, we're representing those individuals. And what they've built, what they've worked so hard to build, and and so there's got to be a component of trust right off the bat, and we've both got to feel it. Um, and ultimately, that you know that that is our local operator, our local executive chefs, our local folks on the ground connecting with uh, with those established um, uh, uh, culinarians or, or chef partners, whoever, uh, or, or, or celebrities, uh, to establish that component of trust, and then we build from there. Yeah, because without that trust, it's not. You know, it's not going to go very far. It's hard. Um, and, and that's hard to sorry. get. 
it's hard to get with with some of these chefs. I mean, I think that chefs in general, especially the ones you just mentioned, right? You're talking about Chang and Michael Simon and Kekor, you know, that have both the creative side and the business side. But getting them past that trust point, um, getting them comfortable that somebody else is touching food that's going to have their name on it, that's hard. It's not easy to do. Not at all, not easy at all. And and what I think we pride ourselves on is. Is, is fulfilling our commitments. If we say we're going to do something, we're going to do it. That's kind of how I lead lead my entire team, my entire operation. Um, and so we've got to be we've got to be willing to fulfill any commitments we make. So if it's you know you're going to use this particular type of salt on the French fry, we're going to use that salt. It doesn't mean we're going to cheat and use you know generic salt. Right. Or if it or you're going to staff the uh, the operation to this type of plan. Whether we think it's the right plan or not, that's you know we're going to have the debate and the discussion. But if the chef ultimately is looking for this type of experience, that's how we're going to put the product together. But then it's one step further, and it's building out the experiences to really look as authentic as possible to right. match whether whether it's their restaurant, their food truck, their brand, and working you know so so when we started you know with Michael uh, Simon in Cleveland we. We started working with his designer. His designer was 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 uh, putting together the spaces at, at what was then Quicken Loans Arena. And then as we grew with Michael into the football stadium, Scott and his team were continuing to design out the retail look and feel so that when you walk up to a B-spot, it's a B-spot. It's not a, a concession stand that has a menu strip that says right. Michael Simon's Burger. And, and all too often I see that in the industry and it really bothers me because that's not what, that's not what our chef partners are looking for and it's not what we're trying to accomplish. And ultimately, it doesn't connect to the fan just to see a menu strip that says so-and-so's product. You've got to build out the location and be dedicated and committed to that, to that brand and that partner to make it, to make it really work. You've got to have the right equipment, the right suppliers, the right staff training, the right uniforms. Uh, to 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 essentially create an outpost, an outlet of of uh, an extension of that chef uh, that chef's brand, um, and that's where this discussion back that we had about volume comes in, and you know that's where we'll work with with um, with the chefs and, and typically with their with their teams uh, to um, you know to have that, that 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 hard discussion about look you know we we may need to change the production process we can't. We can't fire every burger right to order. We've got to think about right. batching. We've got to think about uh, what can be done from a preparation perspective ahead of time. And, and there's no doubt that the fan, you know, if they, if they know the brand from the marketplace, that they will be willing to wait. But in in a venue, time has a whole new dimension. Um, you know, I, I, I see the, the unfortunate tweets every once in a while. I waited 35 minutes, 45 minutes in line. And... and and, you know, we go time that line, and, and it was maybe 12 or 18. But the perception to the consumer is what matters. Right. It doesn't matter that it was half that amount of time. They felt like they gave up a half hour of their time to wait for a particular concept or a particular product. And, and that's, what we're, that, that's something we really have to fight through in, in our world. Convenience to the consumer, throughput, time, speed of service, pick whatever word you want, is paramount. They will, they will complain... Uh, like any consumer, they're going to complain about price. But if you give them the value and the, and the convenience component and the high quality, the, 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 the value component, the, the mitigated price uh, discussion happens, right? But when you, when you don't provide the convenience and it, it does have a perception of taking too long, 
well then then you start to have this this negative experience creation right. and so for us it's about how do you how do you create the right program uh, from a production from a preparation perspective ultimately from a, a layout and execution component to to ensure that we're meeting the chef standards and at the same time uh, meeting the fan standards or the consumer standards of, of time uh, and, and speed uh, in, in in their overall in their overall experience and there's been some there's been some good wrestling you know arm wrestling between our chefs and our chef partners and you know and and and, uh, and we learn you know sometimes the hard way and and, and, and run it, you know, kind of according to what one chef partner might want to do, and then they, they recognize that that's not going to work. Um, but the other, the beauty of, of some of our other concepts, Lonnie, is that we have a, a concept called Launch Test Kitchen that we operate in a number of venues, and it was designed to essentially be that, a, a true launching pad for these concepts. So we can bring in a chef partner without building out a full, uh, a full uh, establishment, but using digital and signage and, and plug-and-play equipment so that we can pop up Fabio Salerno's meatballer for a week and run a meatballer concept or uh, Karen Small's Flying Fig or Alex McCoy's Lucky Buns in D.C. and, and run it for a couple uh, for a month or a couple home stands or a couple series, whatever it may be, whatever sport, and work through those issues right. and then move, move them into the more established brick-and-mortar, call it brick-and-mortar space. And that's been that's been extremely effective to help both partner and ourselves, the chef partner and ourselves, uh, create uh, the right the right executional model to then, you know, go make that big investment into building out, you know, the uh, the actual concept. And it's it's a, it's an incredibly rewarding part of what we do. Um, and and again, I'll go back to you, you talked about the words emotion earlier, and and to to see a consumer or a fan walking the concourse of a venue. Or, or um, you know, moving through uh, an arena and seeing them look up and say, and hear them say, "Oh my God, Lucky Buns is here!" Right. And, and the look on their face, right? I feel like we've won when when we when we get that reaction, right? That's that is what we're trying to accomplish: is that that element of wow, surprise, authenticity, and as on ultimately, it's a credible experience to the consumer, and then to watch them go up and and have a transaction is, is the best part of it. Yeah, you know, it's funny, I um, and I, w- I want to talk to you about technology, but, you know, before I got into this food space, right, you know, I came from the sports entertainment world, um, mm-hmm. I never I never realized the depth by which operators, chefs, w- call them, you know, whoever they are, um, go into all the minute details of building a kitchen, of where POS goes, how big a table is, how do you dampen sound from a restaurant perspective, right? So I think that, that guests always take it for granted because it may look the same for them, you know, but where you place a grill, how big the grill is, you know, what's the flow of people, how do you, you know, you guys have got this, this shit down to a science, right? And, it, and it's no, not... I, I think we're still working, we're always, we're always right. trying to get better, Lonnie. It's you hard. Know, and and the grill can always be a little bit longer, or or, or the uh, the point of sale can always have been six inches to the right. Oh, of course, um, because you never you know until you pressure test it, and you have you know fifty sixty thousand people in a venue, and you see the <laughs> flow, and, and and then then you work through how how that plays out. But you know, equipment has has evolved so much over yep. the, over over the, the recent years, where you know the ability to do plug and play is is really kind of a a, a great a great opportunity for us. So to you know to, to have 
you know, an inventory of equipment that works in that stand and to be able to move things in and out and flex, you know, based on the, the, the type of show, the time of day, the type of event, you know, historically, it would set your menu for a season, whether it's baseball or football or an arena, and you just ran that menu. You just right. ran it for 81 games. Um, and and now we can move day to day. We can move during the event. We we have a concept that we can literally, with a flip of a switch, move from a you know a full fledged food and beverage concept to a full bar. We can move from a, a chef driven concept to a chef driven dessert concept. Um, all through using both the equipment and the tech piece uh, to make sure that, that that we're able to adapt to what's happening in these venues because they're. Also, if you think back to your time in sports, you, you built a venue, you played sports in it. Right. Now you build a venue, play sports, and do something 200 other days of the year. Right. And, uh, and so having that flexibility from a food and beverage perspective is critical because, you know, when you think about what happens at a concert, it's very different than what happens at a hockey game or what might happen, you know, at a, uh, a family show. And, and so instead of just putting a banner up over a stage <clears throat> saying cocktails, uh, it's about designing and developing the concepts from, from from day one to be able to morph over time. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. And so where, you know, again, we, we talked about technology and, and, you know, I read the Sports Business Journal all the time and, and pay attention to some of this stuff. But obviously that tech piece changes the ordering process, people eating in their seats. Like how much is that changing the way that you guys are thinking through and kind of what's that what's that look like today and where do you think it's going in, you know, five years from now? Yeah, it's, it is it is changing rapidly, as we yeah. always say, technology, right? It's it's, it's moving <clears> fast. Um, I think there's three there are three areas that we're focused on, and I'm I'm not sure I have a definitive um, preference for for any one over these uh, over the other, but I think there's three areas that we will continue to um, pilot uh, and and scale, and and it's really all about needs, right? So uh, there's not going to be a one size fits all solve, but. But the first, you know, the, the days of the integrated point of sale, I mean, that, that's all just table stakes now. You've got to right, have, of course. you know, fully integrated point of sale that not only integrated, you know, within the building, but to loyalty programs, loaded ticket, loaded value. Uh, as, as the consumers move to digital tickets, the use of the fan app or the venue app to earn rewards or to check in uh, when they're having a transaction, that's all, that's all kind of here and now and happening the move towards Apple Pay or other, you know, Google Wallet, whatever it may be, uh, that's all. That's all kind of done. That's in the venues, and and it's, you know, there's there's some new uh, loyalty establishments coming on board, but but ultimately that's cost of entry stuff. It, it's now looking at how do you use technology to getting back to the conversation we had about time being uh, this whole new dimension in our venues and time being the millennials' currency ultimately. Yep. How do we um, how do we solve for that component of time with technology? So three ways that we're doing it. Um, one is through the use of artificial intelligence cashiering. And uh, we partnered with a company called Mastin, and they've, they've created a, a unit, essentially countertop unit, that serves as an AI cashier. It uses uh, you know, three-dimensional cameras to, uh, to scan, not through a barcode, but to actually place your can of beer or your hot dog or your your loaded nacho on the on the uh, on the tray, so to speak. The cameras look down and the, and, and the master unit is programmed to know that you have a Coors Light, that you have a loaded nacho with chicken, and that you have a, uh, a hot dog. Uh, and it will essentially instantly 
tally up your uh, your order. You pay by you know credit card, Apple Pay, Swipe, whatever it may be, and you're off. Uh, and it's 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 as nearly as instantaneous as it can be. And the beauty of AI is that the the unit becomes smarter the busier it is. Um, and so we've 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 put a, a number of uh, these units in our venues in a concept that we call walkthrough brew, um, where where essentially we have a wall of beer coolers. You come in, you select your packaged beer, maybe a peanut, uh, maybe a soda or water. You walk up to the cash, uh, the, I, the AI cashier, put your product down, swipe it, go. Uh, and and we've seen you know three x uh, uh, growth in overall sales, location over prior year, uh, just by creating this type of concept. Uh, we still put you know an individual in the place uh, in place to ensure that that those um, those that are purchasing the beverage are are of legal age to do so, um, but we've 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 sped up the transaction you know dramatically. So so how do, can we then now take the AI cashier into other components of the of the venue, and and um, and create more self serve marketplaces, grab and goes, walkthroughs, uh, and and other experiences that can use and leverage that technology. Works great, has a need, fit um, need, needs a need, and, and I think the idea of kind of the Amazon Go, while it's not ready to go into a venue yet, this gets us pretty close. Right. The second, the second component of technology has been around in our business now for three or four years, but but we're trying to take it to the next level. And that's kiosk-based ordering, the self-order, um, you know, the self-order model. And and we found again, you go back. I went back to kind of the uh, the model of, of doing things authentically and, and building them out from from, from scratch. It, it was very easy for us to take a, a point of sale, uh, try to turn it around on the for, front counter, have the consumer come up and press in their order and call that self-ordering. That's not self-ordering. That's just having the consumer place their order. Designing a concept that is built around the order methodology is where we've tried to take and we, where we are taking self-order uh, you know, as, we, as we scale it in, the, in, in our portfolio. So walking up to a bank of six or eight Units that are all self-order kiosks. It's the only way you can transact at that location. Menu-specific, place your order, expedited through the you know a, a whole redesign of the concession location, so that you have a, a, a you know you, you you really re redeploy your staff from being cashiers to being expediters and, and service providers. And so you, you order your product, get your your ticket, walk up, your food's ready in you know like thirty seconds. Self-serve your beverage, grab your beer, and move on. It's a concept we call Zoom Foods. Uh, we're, we're, we're taking it really to the next level now at Broncos. We're doing it with the Cavs as part of their renovation, where you'll now be able to use the kiosks to order multiple concepts. Consider like a neighborhood, three different concepts. Yep. Uh, where you can where you can go up and so so you want uh, you want the uh, the local chicken wing from Jonathan Sawyer, and uh, someone else wants uh, Rocco's Pizza. And someone else wants B spot, and you can order all three of those concepts. Go to one pickup area that will be centrally expedited for all three. Now, if you, we, we, the way we're designing it is that that we'll still have the traditional point of sale available for the individual concepts, but the only way to not have to wait in line at all three would be to self order uh, through the through the uh, through the, Very yeah, smart. the neighborhood. Yep, neighbor, neighbor yeah. So that is that is being uh, you know deployed essentially. As we're talking today, Lonnie, and, and we'll be live uh, for the Broncos for their home opener, and, and in Cleveland uh, for their uh, as their renovation comes on board the end of September. 
So, so self-order is still very big. I think there's a huge play up for it, and we'll continue to scale. We've done a lot of growth uh, in baseball, especially down in Houston. They, you know, the Astros have been uh, uh, very much uh, in favor of continuing to transform concession locations to be uh, technologically enabled, and, uh, and so we've seen great success there. The third, the third component is the, the kind of uh, order and deliver. Uh, the, the Uber Eats into a stadium model. Um, and we've been doing this, quite frankly, for a number of years, probably for like six or seven years. We started doing it with the Phillies, um, I think it was back in 2012 or 13, uh, when, when Major League Baseball came out with their at-bat application. And part of the at-bat application, when you were at Citizens Bank Park, anywhere in the stadium, you could go on the at-bat and order... Um, you order a, a select menu, uh, and it would be delivered to you in your seat. And and so that that technology has has existed for quite a long time, and it's been in place for quite a long time. It's gained adoption and momentum as of late, given the popularity of Grubhub and Uber right. Eats and Postmates, where the now comfort the consumer of it. is right. the comfort exactly. They've adopted it in the marketplace. So this is an example where we were we were pretty much ahead of the trend. We had, we had, unfortunately, very low adoption. Now, at that time, you know, smartphones weren't as prevalent. Um, the use of apps wasn't as uh, as connected as we are today. Wi-Fi in the venue wasn't as great as it is today. Right. Um, and you had, to, you know, you had to you had to kind of go in, get the app, find it, and as opposed to one touch, one one delivery. So, so the, that that third component now of of taking this this, this technology and and, it, and now deploying it into a uh, order and pickup or order and delivery component of the business is something that you know that we also continue to grow. Uh, we're doing different pilots to, to look at the different apps that are out there uh, to, to try to create the most seamless experience for the fan. Because ultimately, if they have to go in and download a, three apps, or three different uh, you know three different settings to get to where they want to go, they're not going to do it. We have to take that friction out. Um, and so, whether it's partnering with the big brands that are doing this well, or using kind of um, white, you know, white-skinned apps or, or tying into team apps, uh, we're we're moving along that direction. The infrastructure is one of the biggest, you know, kind of watchouts that we have to look for, making sure we can deliver right. accordingly, and, and can, you know that we can execute accordingly. Um, but it, it does have a place. I think a lot of it may be in our premium areas, clubs, and VIP seats, uh, where where we can. Um, we can we can transform the in-seat ordering methodology that's been in place for a long time. Um, but but to, to answer the second part of your question about where technology is going, um, you know, I think we're on the cusp of something pretty interesting in our business, and um, you know, I, I think we're going to see, uh, you know, that that technology, whether it's the phone or or most most likely the phone, but a wearable or something like that. You know that, that that replaces all you know all methods of transaction. Uh, you know, so so the ticket, the cash, uh, loyalty in our venues you know go away. The experience needs to become very frictionless. I do see a day when when uh, we create all inclusive areas that you're members of and that you become a member of in different venues with different levels of amenities. And instead of having to go up and have a transaction every time that. That the food and beverage component is included in your your overall experience, uh, Smart. and uh, you know that that's that that that's a, a big big change, obviously, in terms of what, what we do today. 
Um, but but you think about the the success of of um, of all inclusive resorts and cruise the cruise line industry and and within our venues today in the premium areas where they are all inclusive. How do we take that into the general into the general uh, admissions area, the concessions area, the general population, and create better experiences for them that can take some of that transaction out of of the overall uh, of the overall um, experience. And so uh, I think that's coming. I think it's you know it's on our horizon, and we've started to look at it and study it to understand you know, what would be different, what would have to change, and it's quite a bit uh, that would have to change a whole new economic model uh, for for the business. Uh, but, but I think something that could that could really help connect to a fan base that's going to be expecting more and more each and every time they come back to a venue over over the, you know, the next five, ten, fifteen years. Right, it's awesome. Technology is crazy, and I think that you know <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, playing the part of everybody's a little bit lazier now. Um, you know, and they, the convenience to your point before is is their new currency. Uh, it's very true. And it's very smart that you guys are are adapting accordingly. Um, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. And we're just trying to figure. Like I said, I'm not sure I know what's fixed yet. Right. Um, but we're gonna keep. You know, we're gonna keep playing uh, in these different areas and testing. Yeah. And you know, the beauty of of the sports business and uh, in, in entertainment in general is is because it's event-driven, you have the luxury of change. Uh, and if something's not working right, uh, you can you can, you can can pivot and move into a different solution. Or if you pilot a solution and it doesn't work for an event, you can try to fix it for the next day. Right. Um, and and you get a whole new slate to, to try again. Um, it's, just some, it's a luxury we have, and we try to use it to our advantage that when you have downtimes and you have homestand breaks, that's when we should be you know, trying to trying to adjust and 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 update um, accordingly, whether it's on tech, on food, on service, whatever it may be. Yeah. So first of all, that's all amazing. Um, I, the the last thing I would love to touch on because I don't I don't want to take too much of your time, and I appreciate it. I, I've been kind of really curious about um, the tailgating space. Uh, I have been curious. It's it's obviously an, an evolved space, right? But the one thing that always kind of strikes me is that um, the error marks of the world. Right, um, manage what's happening inside the stadium, um, and if you're going to a game and there's 20,000 people tailgating outside of it, it's kind of untouched territory, right? And there's revenue kind of being lost out there. And I know there's been some. I think you guys managed the, the Broncos Stadium. I don't know if you managed it a couple of years ago, but I know that there was some tailgate zones before you get into the stadium. Are you guys? not just looking about what's happening in the stadium, but what's happening before people are getting there as well um, to capture more revenue. I know your partnerships with each team and stadium are, are probably slightly different, uh, but it's just always struck me that there's so much going on outside the stadiums. Um, maybe not so much arenas, right, or, or baseball stadiums where tailgating isn't as, as, um, as prevalent, but football for sure. Um, I'm curious about your take on, on what's happening outside. That's that's an interesting uh, interesting question. And so, as I think through tailgating, I think I think more about the overall arrival experience. Yeah. You know, in terms of how the fan uh, utilizes their time before and, and sometimes after after the event. Um, you know, there's no doubt that that tailgating in some markets is, you know, it's part of the culture. And the last thing that, that we'd ever want to do is disrupt that part of the culture. Um, and so, you know, I think we try to we we try to create uh, destinations that are adjacent to the venues, 
for, for the guests uh, and fans to congregate pre-event. Uh, Soldier Field has a great lawn area where we activate and, and promote um, Cleveland. The Browns do a, a terrific job activating outside the stadium. Uh, Baltimore Ravens Walk, yep. another good example. Um, and we're, we're, we're involved in those, uh, you know, in those uh, experiences, especially as it relates to, you know, service and sale of alcohol, uh, alcoholic beverages. A lot of times we'll, we'll work with the teams to bring in partners on food and beverage, uh, food trucks or other, um, other brands that, that may be able to, you know, create a different experience for the fan than they, than they get inside the stadium. Right. Uh, some different types of pop-ups. Um, but it's not, it's not, you know, going out into the parking lot is probably a little bit out of, out of the, the wheelhouse of what we're good at. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, I think we'd be taking away from what the, what that culture is, is, has, how that culture has been defined. So it's not like you're going to see us moving in the Muni lot in Cleveland uh, anytime soon. That is a special place for Cleveland Browns fans to tailgate and, you know, I think they. I don't know that they. I don't know that they need our services, so to speak. Right. Um, you know, same might be said around Arrowhead Stadium, but creating hubs or zones like we like we've done in Arrowhead. So we've we've created this uh, tailgate area in in the main parking lot uh, on the uh, in between Kaufman and Arrowhead Stadiums. It's been programmed by the team, and the idea is to create a zone for those that may not have driven to the game. Um, and if, if you Ubered to the game or you took public transportation, uh, here's an area that you can go party and hang out at with activations and bands and, and other types of experiences. And so it is, it, it, there, there is that connectivity that we're trying to build uh, that is adjacent to the venue, uh, but not necessarily going deep out into the parking lots as, as, as obviously that's, you know, that's tradition and culture and something that we might, we might not want to disrupt uh, too much because it, something we, we, we should be embracing, right? Yeah. It's what gets the consumer to come early and be part of uh, be part of that Chiefs kingdom or to be part of the Texans experience. Uh, more and more teams are looking to develop the adjacent spaces around their you know, around their venues to create entertainment zones as you know, I think we look at the success that uh, the, the uh, Braves had in, in Atlanta with Centrust Park and the Battery and how that has created a destination zone even up in edmonton uh the uh, the uh, the oilers uh, have created the ice the ice palace district uh, as a way to bring the consumer to uh, the area adjacent to the venue right both before and after the event but also when there's not an event going on in the bin in, in, in the venue so it's and i may not be totally answering the question no, it but is. i think there's, there's so much that's happening that's different in each marketplace so we're we're participating uh, where we can help create value for our partners, and in other areas, um, you know, leaving it to the to the fan to, to kind of have their you know, have their great experience. Um, uh, and and where you're seeing, you know, there, there are a couple of great uh, great young incubator companies that that's probably not the right word. They'd probably be offended. They're stronger than that. Uh, Party Shack and the Tailgate Guys. Tailgate that Guys are doing yeah. a lot of work you know, that are doing a lot of great stuff. And in some markets, we're partnering with them on the food side. Uh, and the beverage side to provide those services, but they're, you know, they're they're focused solely on that experience, um, and uh, and they're doing a great job there. So we'll augment the support as needed, but ultimately, you know, we're 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 at our best focusing on on those fans that are in our venues. It's our job to get them, you know, to to track them in as early as we can, and right. engage with them, to track them to our locations, 
to give them a reason to participate in the, in the offerings that we have uh, and to keep them coming back. Yeah, awesome. Well, listen, anything else you want to touch on? I think this is a, a super um, personal conversation. is great. Like, I, I love the idea of the way you guys are leveraging data and the way that you're evolving. And, you know, we didn't even touch upon the idea of local ingredients and how you're sourcing food, which I think is a could be a whole nother podcast. I think the, the space that you guys are filling right now is a really, really important one from a sustainability perspective, which I'm sure... You know, each one of your markets is a little bit different, um, but it's a. It, it, I'm sure you guys are tackling it, especially with all the data um, that you're collecting. Was anything else you kind of want to touch upon on the industry that that uh, you think would be worth sharing? No, I'd, I'd love to to go down the sustainability path at another time, Lonnie. It is a uh, a unique challenge, and you know, in that we're you know serving these these significant number of folks uh, in a yep. given window. Uh, uh, and, and leveraging uh, leveraging the supply chain the best we can to to find those local ingredients and, and to find them in the quantities we need. It's a whole other whole other dialogue. Yeah, you know, I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about you know what I love doing each and every day. Um, and I don't think if it was as dynamic as it is, I'd be doing it. Uh, yeah, it's that that ever changing opportunity that that is presented. And and look, there's there's I've always said about this business, we have the highest of highs. Sometimes we have the lowest of lows. Um, you know, and, and it's about, you know, finding that happy medium every day to know that, you know, we're not, we're not necessarily on the field playing the game, but there's nothing better than, than having your team partner, you know, win the World Series like the Red Sox did last year and to be part of that experience. You can't get much higher than that. On the other hand, we've been on the losing, you know, we've been the home, we've been the home team on the losing side of one of those events. And you can't get, get much lower because we're so in, we're so all in with our partners. It's not us, you know, creating that, uh, creating that team. It's not us fielding it on, on the, you know, on the field or playing the game. But, but we feel like we are part of, of making that experience special and, and connected to it in, in a very unique way. Um, it, it's what, you know, it's what, what continues to drive me. And, and I'm blessed to have a great team that is driven. I hope, I think, by the same, uh, by the same energies. Um, and, uh, and they surround, you know, surround me and make me. Uh, Make me have a, a great time doing what I do. So, thanks right. for the uh, thanks for the opportunity to talk about you know a, a, a very big part of the business, uh, but but actually a very small part of the whole hospitality industry when you think about it. Yeah, it's an important piece, though. I mean, again, from my perspective, when I think about culinary marketing, the way brands are engaging the space and hospitality as a whole, I always tell people our biggest our our biggest issue is scale. Um, meaning how many people we can touch at any given time, right? Restaurants, you know, their scale is two top and four tops. Um, I always use the example of, you know, we're not the NFL and we can't fill 80,000 person stadiums, but you guys actually are the food and beverage portion that's serving that. And I think it serves an incredibly important part to the overall hospitality conversation because you do have the ability to touch people on a scaled level Almost unlike any other industry, I would I would probably put aside the airline and the and the cruise line industry is the other kind of similar ones. Uh, it is an incredibly important piece to the overall hospitality um, business. So I thank you for what you guys are doing, and, and uh, it's exciting to go to new stadiums uh, and experience kind of all these different offerings and to understand the back end to it, um, the sophistication to it. I think is really important as well. So I appreciate the insight. Well, it's been my my absolute pleasure. If you think about it, some of these are some of these venues are small cities on event day. Yeah, um, we're running all we're running all the restaurants in that little city. Um, yeah. it, it's uh, it's incredible. It's an incredible opportunity that our clients entrust upon us 
to, to do that for them uh, and, and count on us to, you know, to deliver that critical part of the experience. We're, we're, we're really glad to talk about it. And, and Lonnie, I thank you for what you're doing to represent, you know, great, uh, you know, great culinary leaders in the industry and, and, and gain their, uh, gain their trust and exposure into, into our venues. It's, uh, it's fantastic. So for sure. thanks for what, what work you're doing to help, uh, help, help tell that story as well. All right, that was my conversation with Carl Middleman, the president of Aramark Sports Entertainment Group. Hope you guys enjoyed. If you're looking for some more information on culinary marketing as a whole, you can go to the website, or my website, www.theconnectgrp.com, or you can drop me an email at lsuite at theconnectgrp.com. Appreciate you guys listening, and remember, every other week we're going to be dropping a new episode with a new guest. Thanks a bunch.